The Productive Woman, Episode 473. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I am excited in this episode to share with you my conversation with board-certified physician and author, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, as part of our Productive Living series. You'll find more information about Sandra, along with links to resources she recommends and the various ways you can connect with her online in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 473. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. You can take your time back with the power of Text Expander. Repetitive typing, little mistakes, searching for answers, these all take precious time away from you. But with Text Expander, you can take that time back. And they're offering the Productive Woman listeners 20% off your purchase if you use my link, textexpander.com tpw, and enter the code tpw when you order. You don't need to waste time typing or cutting and pasting things you've already worded perfectly. You simply create a snippet that you save in Text Expander, and you'll never need to retype again. Your snippets are saved to the cloud, so they're available on all your devices, Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Now, if you're not aware, a snippet in Text Expander is basically an abbreviation. It's a few keystrokes that will automatically expand into the text you've assigned to it. I personally have dozens of snippets for frequently used text, such as phone numbers, email addresses, my state bar numbers, because I'm licensed as a lawyer in two different states, all the way up to longer messages comprised of several formatted paragraphs with frequently shared information for clients, colleagues, and others. You can also create snippets that will automatically correct typos in words that you tend to misspell or mistype. So with Text Expander, you can work faster and smarter. You can use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. You can create powerful snippets to save you time so that all you type is a short abbreviation and Text Expander does all the rest of the typing for you. And if you work with a team, you can create efficiencies with your whole team by creating snippets that you share among them for messaging, signatures, and descriptions so that your whole team communicates efficiently and with consistent language. You can visit textexpander.com tpw to learn more and be sure to use my code tpw at checkout to get 20% off your purchase. And now let's get into my conversation with Dr. Dalton Smith. I am delighted to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Sandra is a board-certified internal medicine physician, a speaker, and an award-winning author. She's also an international well-being thought leader featured in numerous media outlets, including Prevention, MSNBC, Women's Day, Fox, Fast Company, Psychology Today, and many more. She's the author of numerous books, including her bestseller, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. 
Sandra lives in Alabama with her husband, Bobby, and their two kids. And having recently read her book on sacred rest, I have really been looking forward to talking with her about rest, productivity, and making a life that matters. So welcome, Sandra. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm just so pleased that you could be here. We were talking uh, before I hit record about how much I enjoyed your book and uh, how much I got out of it. And we're going to talk about that some more. But before we uh, before we dig into all of that, maybe you could expand a bit if you want to on the intro that I gave you and tell us a little more about who you are, what you are, or what you do, where you are, anything you think would be useful for us to know as we uh, get into our conversation today. Yeah, well, you summed it up really well. I'm an internal medicine physician and clinical practice for over 20 years now, mom of two teen boys. Uh, One is a sophomore in college, the other one's a senior in high school. So we are about to enter our empty nest stage. I'm I'm, I'm not sure if I'm excited or sad about that, but I'm still (laughs) figuring that one out. And I burned out about 15 years ago when my kids were Uh, very young, and I was very active in my medical practice, got to a place where I just got to the end of myself, and I didn't want to quit my job, and I, you know, I I wanted to be able to figure out not how to survive a challenging profession with a family, but actually how to thrive in the midst of that, and that's really what has taken on as my life work, and it has just been a joy just kind of on that journey of discovering my own rest deficits and how to improve them and then helping other people with the same. Well, and you certainly do that in the book. Um, Before we dig into that topic of rest and productivity and and all those sorts of things, I'd love to provide a little bit of context for how you make a meaningfully productive life for yourself. As you've said, you're a physician, you have your medical practice, but you also do all these other things. You're a mom, you're a wife, you're a speaker and a writer. And so I'd love to understand how you are making that meaningfully productive life. As a starting point, I guess, if there's such a thing for you as a typical day, what might that look like? I don't really have typical days, I think, anymore, uh, because I spend so much time speaking and and floating between a lot of different passions. I consider myself a multi-passionate woman, which means I don't block myself into one niche. And so what creates a meaningful life for me is freedom. And so I like the freedom to be able to explore my passions without limitations. Mm. That's what for me feels like a meaningful life. So that passion may be something specific with my family during certain seasons. Other seasons, it might be I'm deep into a book that I'm writing. Another season, it might be I'm deep into the research. And so that is how I stay at a level of joy at a level of productivity that pours out from my best self. And that actually keeps me happy. Mm, I love that. And so to accommodate all those things and to make all those important things part of your life, do you have a like a particular morning routine, evening routine, anything like that that you use to structure your day? Or is it really just different every day for you? It is different every day, but it does have some general structure to it in in certain things. So every morning, I always start off with a little bit of a self-assessment. I found that a big part of the reason that I burned out is because I never checked in with myself. Mm -hmm. So every morning, I start off with, how do I feel? Mm -hmm. Am I exhausted? Am Am I feeling energized? If I'm feeling exhausted, I look back on the day before and I evaluate where were the places I used energy and failed to actually allow myself to be restored in that area. 
And if I can identify the place that I'm that I feel like has become depleted, I make a point in that day to pour back into that particular bucket of myself. Mm-hmm. Every evening, I always take time to kind of wind down my sensory inputs simply because I tend to be very sensory overwhelmed very easily. I'm an introvert in the sense that I like space and quiet and white space and kind of margin, not only in my life, but I like it also in my my sensory evaluation of the world. In other words, I, I don't like bright lights all the way till I go to bed. Mm-hmm. I don't like being on my gadgets or watching or having all this stuff going on um, on TV and radio kind of right before going to bed. So I have to make sure that I kind of create some white space in my evening to downgrade my sensory inputs. And I find I fall asleep a lot faster that way. I also stay asleep when I fall asleep. I don't wake up and go in and out. And also I find that I go into a deeper sleep, a deep non-REM sleep a lot faster um, that way as well. Wow. Okay. So much there I want to ask you about. Well, let's get into some of the things you just talked about, because a lot of that, I see you talking about it in the book. When I was first introduced to your work, I was particularly intrigued with the subject matter of this book, Sacred Rest, because I have a very stressful profession. I mean, you're a physician, I'm a lawyer. You know, there's different kinds of stress that go with the work that you do. I'm also the mom of five now adult kids, but lots of things going on. And at this stage of my life, I personally struggle to get enough sleep and to relax when there's always more work to be done. So when I learned about the work you're doing, I bought a copy of your book thinking, I would help me figure out how to sleep better. And I found myself reading it with a pencil in hand, underlining and and starring passages as I went through it because they were really opening my eyes and and provoking a lot of thought. And I want to talk with you about this issue of rest versus sleep and, and the different kinds of rest. First of all, what inspired you to write this particular book? Because there's obviously a lot of research behind it, but you you put a lot of yourself into the book, I think. I did. And I think um, for me, what inspired me to write it specifically was I was seeing so many patients come into my medical practice who looked just like me. Mm-hmm. And it and for a while, I just to be frank, it, it was a lot easier just to check their test and, you know, tell them everything's good. I don't see anything wrong. You just need to relax, you know, Mm. (laughs) kind of, you have 15 minutes as a physician to see people and get them out the door and and keep the process moving. And I just really got tired of that. I I saw so many people just, when I would tell them their tests are negative, you would just see their face fall. It it was like you were telling them you, it was, it was the same look almost that I would see when I tell someone they had cancer Mm. is this look of desperation of loss of hope. And I found that so many people, they just wanted to know how to fix the exhaustion they were experiencing. They didn't even care if I came back with some horrific disorder. They just wanted an answer to the reason they were feeling the way they were feeling. Mm. And so that's kind of provoked me to start having conversations with people about rest and having conversations with them about how are they restoring themselves. And I found that because the content was so unknown at the time, you know, there was no 
discussion about creative rest or sensory rest or some of these other things that I termed that I, I spent so much time trying to get them to understand it. But when I gave them one of my own personal stories, it was like immediate. Ah, I get it. And so that's why when I started writing the book, I, I could have stayed with the research, but I'd already seen that just giving people the research didn't hit the mark the way it did if I put myself into it. Well, and I think in some way, there's a relief that comes with hearing that someone else is struggling with this too. You don't wouldn't necessarily wish it on anyone else. And I think a lot of women feel this way. They're just tired all the time, just exhausted because that we're doing so many things and taking care of so many people. And like you said, it, it would be a relief to hear, okay, well, I've got a disease. Can it be treated? I can be, but if you tell me there's nothing you know, physically wrong with me, then why do I feel this way? Hearing that other people are going through that same thing can be kind of encouraging, that it's not necessarily that there is something wrong with me per se that's not wrong with lots of people, but you share your story and people can hear that there's a way out of this. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And and honestly, it was one of those situations where had I felt like I could, and because I tried, I did, I did, I do tell other people's stories um, mm -hmm. in the book of stories of other patients, obviously with the names changed and all of the legal stuff, but stories of other people. But I, I felt like, especially since so many of the patients that I had present to me were people who were high achievers. Mm. My practice was filled with <laughs> lawyers and judges and pastors and teachers and professors and other doctors and doctors' wives. I mean, they, it was filled with people who had a certain personality type. Mm. And that personality type had so many layers that had to be unraveled to even get to the, to the real reasons why a lot of us fight with rest. Yeah. A lot of us have just lost respect for rest. It wasn't in part of our training. We were actually trained the opposite way, that rest was kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, for losers. Rest was what you did when you couldn't keep up with the rest of the world. So there was a bit of kind of demantling that. I felt like that had to occur. And the easiest way to get someone to dismantle their own baggage is for you to unload yours first. Mm, yeah. Well, to that point, one of the passages in the book that I marked is something that you say early on that really spoke to me, where you said, people-pleasing workaholic go-getters don't excel at rest without an internal battle. Rest requires submission of the soul, and the soul wants what the soul wants. It fights back against rest by holding up all the pretty fruit busyness is producing. It never gives you time to cut inside that same fruit to see the rot and decay at the core, decay that will inevitably surface when you're ready to take a bite into the busy life you've created. I, I have to say, I recognized myself in that. I, can you talk a little bit about that, what you were getting at there and, and where, where you were wanting to go with it? 
Yeah, you know, one of the things that that passage makes me think of is that, you know, for myself, my background is in biology and biochemistry. So when I look at life, I oftentimes look at it from that standpoint. And if you think about, like, we often say things like the busy bee, Mm -hmm. and that's something we aspire to. We want to be busy and active and productive all the time. But if you think about the life of a bee, they spend all this time creating sweetness for other people. Uh, you know, they're creating something that others are going to enjoy, but they rarely actually stop to taste the very sweetness that they've produced for other people. And I feel like that's how my life had started to look. I, I you know, patients would say, oh, you know, we love coming to you. It's such a great experience. But I wasn't enjoying this, the, the very life that they were raving over. Um, we see it sometimes with celebrities where all of a sudden we we hear that someone has taken their life and we're thinking, well, what happened that got them to that place of desperation? Mm. You can have a life that is producing very well, but it's actually not a life that you're enjoying. And I think that's where when we talk about success, we have to separate productivity from actual satisfaction because they're not the same thing. Such a good point. Getting deeper into this concept of of rest, I mentioned earlier that my initial motivation to buy your book was my own struggles with getting enough sleep. And I thought that, oh, a book about rest, that's going to help me sleep better. But early in the book, you make the point that sleep is not rest. And, And I wonder if you could talk about that and share if sleep isn't rest, what is rest and why does it matter? Yeah, sleep and rest are are not the same thing, but they have a relationship with each other. Sleep is a type of rest. It's actually a type of passive physical rest. But in the book, Sacred Rest, what I talk about are these seven different types of rest, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. Sleep, as I mentioned, is a passive type of physical rest with physical rest actually having Another type, which is active physical rest, which include those things like stretching or yoga or massage therapy. And so when we put all of our fatigue eggs into the sleep basket, as that's going to be the way that we battle and overcome our fatigue, we basically are omitting all of these other aspects of rest that we need. Rest that is very core is not about simply cessation which is primarily what sleep and napping are, cessation activities. Rest is about restorative practices. What are the things that help you to pour back into the places that have become depleted through the work that you do, through the the lifestyle that you live? So it takes kind of another step beyond just cessation to restoration. And that's what rest is. Do you think that... Of of these seven types of rest that you talk about, is there, I think this is probably a dumb question, but is there one that kind of rises to the top as being more important or is it important to get a balance of all the different types of rest? Well, that's interesting. Um, And it's definitely not a dumb question because it gets asked a lot. So that's, it's interesting Mm -hmm. because it changes. It changes based on how we're using energy. And so that's the question we often get when we introduce these seven types of rest to people are, oh, oh, you know, oh, wow, I have now I have seven things I have to get and I couldn't even <laughs> get sleep, you know. Yeah. But the reality is most of us are already getting 
rest in some of these areas, we just didn't know what to call it, or we didn't even really call it anything. We just knew I do this thing, I feel better, and I'm just going to keep doing whatever this thing is, even though I don't understand it. But the thing we have to kind of realize is it varies. Certain seasons of your life, certain things that you're going to be, certain work that you might be doing, ways that you're using energy are going to put you more at risk for a rest deficit in one of those seven areas. You know, it's interesting. We have a free assessment at restquiz.com. We've had over a quarter million people who've taken the assessment to date. And during the time when COVID, before COVID hit, we had, it was kind of always, mental rest was always the number one ranking for most people, mental rest deficits. People were, they have busy brain. They can't turn their head off. They're always thinking. They try mm -hmm. to go to sleep. Their brain won't shut up. So that was the number one rest deficit. During that time, April through June, when COVID really hit and everything shut down and schools went online and every job just about went online, all of a sudden, for the first time, sensory rest deficit shot through the roof. Mm. And it's like it went from always being like number three, number four to number one consistently. Every time people took the test, that was number one. And we started hearing things like Zoom fatigue, words we'd never even heard before. But people were recognizing when I sit on this computer for eight hours, I'm tired. And so it does change, but it's really situational. So you mentioned sensory rest. Talk about that. What is sensory rest? Why do we need it? What are we resting from, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. So um, let me start by just kind of explaining what a sensory rest deficit is, I, because that's the reason we're needing the sensory rest. So we get a sensory rest deficit when we are in a overly intense uh, atmosphere, so to speak. So there's lots of lights, sounds, electronics possibly even smells or textures, depending on the kind of work that you do. So if you work in a situation where you're on the computer a long part of your day, or if there's bright lights in the place where you work, or if there's a lot of background noise or sounds, and this could even be your home where you work from home and you have your kids or your TV or whatever that's playing all day. The problem with that is, is that it creates sensory overwhelm within our bodies because a lot of us will say something like, well, my brain tunes all of that out. I don't really hear it. Well, you may not be consciously aware of those background noises and sounds all and lights and things all the time. For your body to tune it out requires your brain to filter it. So there's ongoing brain activity taking place to accommodate the filtering that you're depending on to block out these things. What happens to many of us, excessive sensory overload leads to sensory overwhelm. And our physiological response and psychological response to sensory overwhelm is irritation, agitation, rage, and anger. We get irritable. And so, you know, it's the reason why road rage is worse in the evening and non-existent, really, in the morning. You hear of all these incidents, they happen between four and six. Why is that? Because in the morning, we've had the sensory reprieve that comes simply by closing our eyes to sleep. So you do get a little bit of sensory rest when you sleep. However, by the time four to six comes and you listen to elevators dinging or phones ringing at, or cash registers going off or whatever kind of work that you happen to do, by that time, you're sensory overloaded 
and the that honking horn is just the final straw. You can't take anymore. So sensory rest is downgrading some of those sensory inputs, turning off the radio on your drive home, using noise cancellation earphones for maybe an hour, 30 minutes at your workplace just to get a moment of reprieve. Uh, turning off TVs or radios in your house if nobody's really watching them. Downgrading the lights like I do before you go to bed so that you can activate your circadian rhythm so that your brain starts releasing the correct hormones to actually help you be able to go to sleep. One of the things I've thought about a lot over the last couple of years is how, I guess, I hadn't put this term to it, but certainly sensory overload is just rampant. There's almost nowhere to go to to be quiet. And we are not comfortable, most of us, with silence, with with quiet, with, you know, peacefulness even. I don't know if it's because we're not comfortable being alone with our thoughts. We, we need to drown it out. But everywhere we go, there's noise, there's lights, there's all this stuff going on. And I think of back when I was younger, going to visit a friend or going to a friend's home with her. And she walked into the house. She turned immediately turned the TV on, turned a radio or a, a tape or something of some music on and something else making noise before she did anything else. Like she had to fill the space with noise. And I think it's gotten much, much worse at least in the United States, I can't speak to how it is in other countries. Do you see that as well, that we we have a hard time letting ourselves be somewhere where it's quiet? Absolutely. It's an issue. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because some people like to experiment with some of the new things that are out. And one of the things that's been out for some time now are sensory deprivation tanks. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, Occasionally, I'll have a client or a company that I work with who asks my thoughts on sensory deprivation tanks. And, and honestly, they're fantastic for those who can tolerate them mm. because there's a lot of people because they have they do not have uh, any type of sensory rest as a part of their lifestyle. If you put them in a sensory deprivation tank, a true sensory deprivation tank, pitch black, weightless, mm -hmm. no sound, they freak out. Yeah. They go into a full-blown panic attack because it is such a foreign sensation to the body that it produces automatic fear. Hmm. And so for most of us, sensory deprivation exercises have to be implemented in a stepwise approach. You don't take someone like your friend and put them in a sensory deprivation tank. Their, their cortisol response will go into immediate fight or flight hmm. because it's too different than what they're used to. You wean somebody into levels of sensory deprivation. So turning off some of the gadgets, maybe using white noise is if they need some background noise, using white noise instead of actual formatted noise, like a song or TV people talking, just using white noise like the ocean or uh, vacuum cleaners or fans, those kind of white noises so that there's a little bit of background noise, but it's so low level that the brain doesn't activate into that higher level of, of sensitivity. A lot to think about there. And you do have some great suggestions in the book for each of the different types of rest. But this one in particular, I think of just because I've seen just so many situations and experienced it where that agitation and that frustration that you're talking about, you don't even realize where it's coming from unless somebody points it out, somebody like you, that 
okay, this is what my day's been like. I've been surrounded by people talking all day long, even if they weren't talking to me. There was noise, lights, all, all of those things, the smells, whatever it might be. And realizing, I think it starts with realizing that could be contributing to the exhaustion you're feeling, the the irritation you're feeling or whatever, uh, taking those steps to to reduce the inputs, even for just a while, can make a, a pretty huge difference, I would think. Absolutely. A lot of the companies that we work with, we do a lot of executive retreats and a lot of workplace well-being consulting. And a lot of those companies, one of the, one of the first things we start having people begin to implement are sensory deprivation exercises that they can do at their desk or, or depending on what kind of work situation they're in, um, implemented kind of throughout their workday. Because that is one of the things we're seeing that that so many people suffer from. And, and a very simple one is turning off all notifications to social media and like news and weather apps, things that are not required necessarily for your job and that are not the phone and the actual text messages, which are how your family would actually contact you if there truly was an emergency. Simply turning off the notifications on everything else in itself can save a lot of that sensory overwhelm sensation by downgrading that. Mm. I would think that all of this also can apply not just to us, but to our children. I think of years and years ago when my now adult kids were small and at home and I had, you know, five young kids at home. I, I didn't know any of this stuff that you're <laughs> we've been talking about. But I habitually would have a quiet time in the afternoon. Uh, I was homeschooling them, and so they were all home, you know. I had a rule from the time my first kid was young, which was after lunch, everybody shorter than me takes a nap. <laughs> and as they got older, they didn't have to sleep, but they had to be quiet, and they couldn't listen to anything. They could read a book if they wanted to, but I had this sort of enforced uh, hour or two of just quiet in the afternoon for the kids. Because in my experience, when we didn't do that, by the time it got to be dinner time, everybody was just wound up tight and crabbing at each other. And it was just, you know, that's where the, where the old term, the arsenic hour came from, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I don't know what your thought is on this, but as you were talking about it, I was remembering that experience from when my kids were little, that it's important for our children who to, to learn to be quiet for a while each day. Absolutely. It's, it's just as important for them as it is for us. And I think that's the thing. We can look at our kids and see it, just as you mentioned. Um, we see it in our teens. We see it in our two-year-olds or our toddlers when they have to, you're like, they need a nap <laughs> after <laughs> they've been wound up for so for a certain period of time. It's a sensory overload syndrome is what we're witnessing. And so the thing is, once you become an adult, you're able to control your your impulses a little bit better that irritation, agitation, rage, or anger, you're not going to have a temper tantrum or, you know, start yelling or fighting someone, but it does make us meaner. You, and, and it tends to lead to arguments at the end of work or when you get home from work, you're arguing with your spouse or your kids and you're like, I, why am I, why am I like yeah. this? When I, I mean, I just literally walked in the door having not seen them and why am I like, you know, biting into them immediately? 
And so I think it's important to recognize, you know, you, you're not going to necessarily get an hour um, coming home from work, but turn off the, the radio some days and just drive home in silence and just, just allow yourself to kind of have that little bit of a reset. Very important. I want to talk a little bit about another type of rest that you, you mentioned kind of in passing earlier, and, and that's mental rest. In the book, you say mental rest involves relinquishing the constant stream of thoughts entering your mind quickly and obtaining a sense of cerebral stillness. And I got to say, that is really hard for me. I have more than once been accused of overthinking things, and it's a, a pretty fair accusation for me. Um, I'm one of those people that struggles to just get the mind to turn off. What, what are the consequences of a lack of mental rest, and how can we fix that? Yeah, so mental rest deficits can present themselves in a couple of different ways. So sometimes people will state that they have a hard time concentrating. Um, they're more forgetful. They may not be able to pick up information or pick up how to do something new as quickly as they they normally would. Sometimes people will say that they, as you mentioned, it's like I, I'm over-processing. I want to be, I want to go to sleep, but my my mind is coming up with all the ideas as soon as my head hits the pillow or rehashing conversations or, or you know, going over clients or cases right before going to bed. And so some of the things that can help with that, uh, the number one thing that we recommend if you're a ruminator meaning that you lay down at night and you're thinking of your to-do list the next day. You're running your list through your head. <laughs> you're, you're going through conversations and you're kind of ruminating over thoughts. Have, um, doing a brain dump or having a, a notepad or piece of paper or post-it note, something where you can just jot down whatever that list is or those thoughts are so that your brain, so you're basically giving your brain permission to release it by taking the responsibility of memorizing it away from your brain and putting it on something concrete, like a notepad. Another way that a mental rest can be obtained is through meditation and mindfulness type processes. Now, when I say meditation, some people are like, oh, okay, I don't do the, you know, I don't do all that. I don't do any kind of meditation. Well, it, there's, it looks different. Let me just say that for each person, what meditation can look like, um, which is why I oftentimes say mindfulness type practices, because for some people, they actually meditate or experience mindfulness practices when they are doing something else. For example, people who crochet or, or um, do the knitting, it's a robotic type activity. It does require brain power, but the brain power is so niched down to one specific activity and the focus is so pinpoint and direct that it's a mindfulness practice for some people. Some people experience the same thing when they're jogging. So they're out jogging, their physical body's not resting, but while they're jogging, they're concentrating on their breathing and their cadence. So they've narrowed their attention down to one line of of, or stream of concentration and it's gotten their mind to a place of stillness because they are only focusing on that one thing. We see it with people who say, I feel, you know, I, I clear my mind when I go outside and I chop wood or I go outside and I garden. We see it for when people, some people say they get it when they go out and fish. So it, it, there's so many different ways that people can experience that kind of collapsing of all the noise down to a finite area that they're going to focus on 
And that is how they get that mental stillness by focusing it down in a moment of mindfulness. And the benefit of doing this, whichever way works for you, the benefit of getting the mental rest is what? It's clarity. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have a difficult time clearing our thoughts out because there's so much noise in our in our cerebral space. And so when you're able to kind of get your mind quieted down, it's a lot easier to then come out of those moments of mental rest and reflect back on whatever it is that whatever problems you're trying to solve, whatever solutions you're trying to come up with, you know, whatever it is you're trying to actually focus and concentrate on, you've helped your brain kind of clear out the clutter, so to speak, so that you can actually see what it is you're trying to see something we can all benefit from, and and most of us want. There are so many good things that you have to say, so many kind of mind-opening things, eye-opening things in the book, and we can't really, we don't have time to go through every single one of these kinds of rests, but one of the ones that caught my attention, because I'd never heard of this before, but one of the ones that you talk about in the book is this idea of social rest, um, what is that and and why do we need it? Yeah, social rest is always interesting because people automatically think it's me telling you to get away from other people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, and that's honestly, I mean, that's a part of rest, I guess, but it's less, we talked about there's cessation and restoring. But for me, when I look at social rest, it's not getting away from people. You know, that's the new pandemic we're talking about right now is the pandemic of loneliness. So it's not getting away from people. It's actually evaluating your different relationships and evaluating whether or not those relationships are socially pulling from you, draining you, or or if they're socially pouring back into you and they're life-giving in some way. Most of the relationships in our life are negatively pulling from our social energy. They're people who need things from us. So there are our family members, our kids, our clients, our our coworkers, our bosses, you know, all of these people need things from us. And then you have to take a look at your life and your relationships and say, who are the people in my life who don't need anything from me? Who I just like being around. We have fun together. It's a it's an uplifting life-giving type relationship where I can actually be fed and receive and be poured back into. Now, some of those same people can be part of your social rest strategy, like your kids and your husband, they can love back on you. But the reality is most of us have a don't have a, a good kind of evaluation of those relationships. So we get into situations where we're always on the giving and they're always on the receiving. And we don't create opportunities for those same people who could be part of our social rest strategy to actually give us the social rest we need, to actually be able to be life-giving and affirming and saying positive things to us and and kind of pouring back into us the way that we pour into them. Mm-hmm. As you were saying that, I was I was wondering, do we do that sometimes because part of our identity as women in particular, is we are the givers, we are the nurturers, and we don't allow others to give. We're not good at receiving, and we're not good at letting ourselves be nurtured. That's so true. I oftentimes ask people, who's nurturing the nurturers? Mm. Yeah. Because if, if if we look at life and our, ourselves as a garden, and you're you're nurturing and you are pouring into all the other gardens to help them thrive, 
who's nurturing your garden? Yeah. Who's actually helping you stay in a place of thriving? I think I feel like this is part of the reason that so many women actually find themselves kind of like I did in the beginning of my book on my floor looking at the chandelier and and the in the successful life, you know, that mm-hmm. you built, wondering, did I build a life or did I build a prison? Because it doesn't feel, I don't feel free in what I've built. And so I think we have to to really start evaluating. And, and on that note, you know, we talk about self-care and it really gets a bad rap, I feel, because when we talk about self-care, I fear sometimes we actually are just talking about pampering. I mean, I'm good for uh, manicure and pedicure and the facials and all of that stuff. I mean, get it done, have fun, whatever. But that's not what I mean when I talk about self-care. I'm talking about self-preservation. What are the things you do that are preserving your actual ability to live well? That goes so far beyond just the pedicure. Yes, it does. Well, and on that point, um, one of the things that you said in the book that, that I really appreciated is this. You said, rest will win every battle you initiate with it. You can either honor your need for rest or surrender to the one-two punch of mandatory rest. And I, I read that and I thought, I, I think what you were trying to get at is our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls, everything about us, we need rest. And if you don't give it, it, it will be enforced upon you, whether it's through illness or a, 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 you know, a mental breakdown, a, a, whatever it might be. But it's hard for us. Life is chaotic. We all have a lot of things going on in our lives. So do you have a one or two just good suggestions for women who want to find rest of any of these types that you talk about in the midst of very chaotic lives? Where do they start? Where Where do we start? Yeah, I think the first thing is identifying your primary rest deficit. So don't try to eat the whole elephant and, you know, dive into all seven. Take the quiz determine which of these seven areas is the one you're most efficient in. Once you've identified your primary rest deficit, then you're going to need to get intentional about restoring that particular area. And so what I begin with is don't think that this means you have to go take another vacation or take a couple of days off. I mean, if you want to do that, fantastic. But that is not a burnout prevention strategy. A burnout prevention strategy has to be integrated into your everyday lifestyle in some way. And so look at the places in your life where you can carve out five minutes for a small restorative activity, whether that restorative activity is a mindfulness exercise or a breathing exercise, or uh, like you were mentioning, a moment where sensory deprivation, where you're going to put on your noise cancellation earphones and close your eyes in between that Zoom meeting and just let it all kind of wind down for five minutes between meetings. Or if you're going to do what we call habitual stacking of practices. So there's some things you already naturally do habitually like clockwork, let's say like brushing your teeth. And if for you, one of the types of rest that you feel like you need more opportunities with, let's say it has to do with creative rest, you're needing to be inspired, but you don't feel like you have time for inspirational things. You don't have time to, you know, listen to an audiobook or listen to music or, or whatever it is. You can, while you're brushing your teeth or doing your morning routine, you can come up with a, a routine where during my morning routine, I'm going to listen to an, um, a, a fiction audiobook or I'm going to listen to poetry or I'm going to play 
music, classical music, whatever it is, that is the inspirational, creative rest that you're needing, but you don't feel like you have time for, stack it on something that you're already doing. And all of the types of rest have ways that you can integrate it in the middle of a busy life. It just takes intentionality. Yeah. That's really helpful. And I will note for the sake of those who are listening, that in the book, you do have some brief questions, a set of questions for each of the types of rest to help you identify if you might have a deficit there. So that might be a place to start. But you also mentioned you have another quiz. Is this on your website? Yes, it's simply at restquiz.com. So it's a automatic long form version of the questions that you mentioned. And so it gives you a score in all of the seven areas so that you're able to see what your scores are for all seven areas of rest, identify your greatest deficits, and then put your attention there. So we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure, along with a link to the book, which in case people can't tell, I highly recommend. Sandra, our conversation today is part of the Productive Living series that we've been doing on the podcast. And on the Productive Woman podcast, we talk about productivity as more than just getting stuff done, but in the sense of making a life that matters as each of us defines it for herself. What does it mean to you to make a life that matters? To me, it means that you are functioning from the highest level of your own personal capacity and pouring back into the world from that place. You know, right now we often see that a lot of people are functional burnouts. They are showing up at work every day. They're giving out of their emptiness. I want to see a world where people are giving out of their fullness, mm. where they feel energized. They feel they have the energy to do the things they're passionate about. That's when people are really giving from their best place. I think that's a great definition of making a life that matters. And rest, obviously, is a very important part of that, but not just sleep, as we've learned. It's it's much broader and much more important than that. I want to ask, because I ask every guest this question, because we can all learn from each other in this area. You've obviously thought about these things a lot. You've written about them, spoken about them, about the importance of these types of rest. You have systems in place for getting the things done that are important to you. But even with all that, do you ever have a day when it just all gets away from you or you get completely stressed out and overwhelmed? And and if so, what do you do to get back on track? Oh, absolutely. This fall, this last couple of months actually have been extremely um, overwhelming. I've uh, been on the road traveling, doing a lot of speaking. I think I've, I've been on the road for the past nine weeks nonstop, uh, one to two speaking engagements every week. So a lot of travel, which is, ex- you know, exhausting in and of itself, sleeping in beds that are not your bed and out. That's why I said I don't have a set routine. It's kind of a life on the go oftentimes. So yeah, so there are days that I wake up and I'm like, whoa, okay, <laughs> that uh, I'm tired. You know, that 3 a.m. Uh, trip, that 3 a.m. car ride to get to that 7 a.m. flight is wearing on me. And so what I tend to do is I try it to the best of my ability to set aside time in the day to fix what I saw. That's why I was saying a big part of my routine when I wake up tired is to look back and see what got drained that I failed to restore. Now that I'm in today, how do I restore it? Not just saying, oh, okay, I'm tired. I just got to deal with it and suck it up. If I lost sleep because I got up at three, maybe I have 
an hour or two before a speaking engagement that I can take a quick nap. Maybe I can skip the networking session if I don't have to be there and go to bed early. So looking at how do I incorporate the restoration that I need into today without coming up with the excuses. A good approach. Uh, great advice for all of us. Sandra, where can people connect with you online if they want to learn more about what you're doing and, and the work that you've you've been doing? Where's the best place to find you? Yeah, my main website is drdaltonsmith.com. It's just D-R-D-A-L-T-O-N-Smith.com. Okay. And we'll put links in the show notes, as I mentioned earlier. Before we go, I would like to think about maybe the woman who's listening to this episode, who, who came to the podcast looking for some help, some encouragement in getting things done that are important to her and, and making a life that matters as she defines it. Thinking about how the various types of rest fit into that objective. Do you have any last words for that woman? Yeah, I, my, my final thoughts on that would simply be to evaluate your own feelings about rest. Uh, I, as I mentioned, I feel like a lot of us have lost respect for rest. We view it as lesser than the work, the productivity. But to reevaluate rest as the thing that you do to actually allow yourself to be your most productive, most effective, most successful self. And when we give rest the respect it deserves and we prioritize it in, in our life, it actually gives us more of the energy that we need to do the things that really matter to us. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Sandra. I am so glad that I had the opportunity to talk with Sandra and I'm grateful for her valuable insights about rest and productivity. If you're interested in learning more about the work she's doing, definitely check out her website and her books. As I think I mentioned more than once, I enthusiastically recommend her book, Sacred Rest, which I personally have found very helpful in understanding the, the different types of rest that I need to think about in order to show up kind of as my best self in the world. We'll have links to all that in the show notes. I'd love to know what you think. Do you have any comments or thoughts about the things that Sandra and I talked about or any questions for her or for me, you can share those in the comment section of the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at theproductivewoman.com slash 473. Or you can post a comment or question on the Productive Woman's Facebook page. If you're a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, that's another great place where you can uh, share your questions, your thoughts about this episode or any other for that matter. And as always, if you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can do that by emailing your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com. Uh, remember, for listeners of this podcast, Text Expander is offering 20% off your purchase of this productivity tool that I personally find indispensable. You can visit textexpander.com slash tpw to learn more. And remember to use my code TPW at checkout to get 20% off your purchase. And thank you so much to Text Expander for supporting the Productive Woman podcast. On that uh, point, I guess, of saying thank you, uh, one last thought before we go. As this episode is being published, we in the United States are about to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. 
And of course, this has historical significance for our country. But for me, it's always a good time to just think about and give thanks for the blessings that I've enjoyed, and especially for the people who are part of my life and bring such richness and meaning to it. Of course, I am grateful for my family, for our five adult children, for our 10 grandchildren, and of course, for my husband, Mike. There are so many ways that he makes my life better and has for 40 plus years. But in addition to all those ways, he has been editing this podcast every week for the past several years, and I am grateful for his expertise and support in that area. I also want to thank Lisa, who's been a member of the Productive Woman community for many years and has supported me and encouraged me in many ways, including helping prepare the show notes for this podcast every week. So thank you for that, Lisa. It means a lot to me, and I appreciate you. For every woman who has joined me on this podcast as a guest, thank you. I am grateful for each woman's time and expertise contributed to help us all in our quest to make a life that matters and to help us each define for ourselves what that means. And last, but most certainly not least, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast, for being part of this community. If you've ever sent me an email or a note through the contact form on the on the website or in a comment on a, a podcast episode, thank you. Uh, it means more to me than I know how to say. I appreciate hearing from you always, the feedback, uh, the the constructive criticism, the encouragement, the ideas, all of it means so much. But just the fact that you're there, that you listen, it, it's, uh, I don't have words to say how much I appreciate you. It, it means a lot to me to have you as part of my life and to have you allow me to be a small part of your life. So thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday if you celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, either way, I hope your week is a great one. And I look forward to talking with you. So I, I guess I would say that's it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you again for spending this time with me and with Sandra. I hope you felt like it was time well spent and you found something meaningful to you in the things we talked about. I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. Mm -hmm.